what a morning it's been. We've had all kinds of technical difficulties. So we don't have our announcements. Anybody got any announcements you want to share? <laughs> That's it. Well, Pastor Paul is uh, at home sick. He uh, has been stricken with COVID. He called me Friday morning. I was laying there in bed and, and uh, I got this chirp and I looked at my phone at 518. He says, Mark, I hate to do this to you, but he says, I got tested positive with COVID this morning. You need to preach. <laughs> you know, for 20 years, this has never happened. And that's a miracle, I think, because I don't think 20 years I've ever been ready for this. <laughs> Amazing thing, he asked me a couple of weeks ago, he asked me if I would preach Mother Day, Mother's Day service because he's going, him and Patty are going away for a well-deserved holiday. It's been a long time since uh, the holiday's been happening. And so I said, sure, I'll do that. And then I said to Karen not long after that, I said, I have this feeling that I'm going to be preaching before Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, I was going through my iPad here, my computer, and I was trying to delete because in doing these messages, I do about 20 copies of copies of copies and get confused as which one's my original. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to delete all of these. And so I started to move them and delete them. And I come across this message here. And this message, I preached this message January three years ago. And I started reading through it and I thought, wow, that's a good little message there. <laughs> And so I told Karen, I said, I'm going to preach that next time I'm preaching. And then, well, what, two weeks maybe later, Pastor Paul calls me and says, would you preach? And I said, yes, and I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> then I started going through it. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, oh, no. And then, you know, of course, when something like this happens, yesterday I was uh, over at the warehouse, uh, George Donaldson, he leads a... Uh, a group over there is a drop-in from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and they go in there, and they have a Bible study, and then they play games and stuff like that. So it's just a fellowship time, and there's about 12, 14 people over there yesterday, and he asked me, you know, at the beginning of the week, would you do this for me? And sure. Release the youth. Hmm? Release the youth. Release the youth. Things are so synced when I'm up here, eh? <laughs> no, I forget what I was saying. So I better just start preaching this message I've got here. But on a more sober note, we have a funeral here tomorrow of uh, Rick Grove. Rick Grove is a member of our church. He was one of our ushers. Uh, the funeral tomorrow at 1 o'clock. If any of you would like to attend and uh, maybe support Karen, that would be great. And... Uh, Kind of a sad deal, you know, but for Rick, like, it's graduation. He had early Alzheimer's set in, and uh, he wrestled for four years, and uh, he's now in glory. He was committed. He was evangelistic. He was, it was really important to him. He wrote booklets that are going to be available tomorrow that, uh, to lead people to the Lord. 
Uh, he got saved. I think he got saved a little later in his life, but when he got saved, you know, it really meant something to him, and he really wanted people to hear the gospel and experience what he experienced. You know, what a, it's a beautiful thing for the person that's going home. You know, it's a day that, you know, I think the older we get, the more we look forward to that. But uh, for the ones that are left behind, like Karen, he was 64 years old, you know, very difficult time for her. And so you can keep her in your prayers and, and the kids and, and uh, people involved there. So shattered, when life leaves us picking up the pieces, May 2013, uh, there's an article in um, the New York Times. Now, I was, I look, when I first looked at this and started working at this, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to find a Canadian statistics. There are statistics in, out there, but they just weren't as detailed as this. Like, it just didn't really fit as well as this, and I'm sure we could take... American stats and apply it to Canada as well. I think we're pretty close in so many respects. But in May 2013, a May article in 2013 in New York Times notes suicide rates among middle-aged Americans have risen sharply in the past decade. From 1999 to 2010, the suicide rates, um, rate among Americans ages 35 to 64 rose by 30%. Most, the most pronounced increase was seen among men in their 50s, a group in which suicides jumped by 50%. Researchers claim that the reason for the suicides, you know, they're often complex, but this article hinted that those deeper issues like failed expectations and a loss of hope might be the root cause for the increased suicides. The boomers had great expectation of what their lives are going to look like, but it hasn't turned out that way for so many of them. And psychologists warn that future generations will face, be facing the same conditions that lead to this sense of despair. You know, this is something that we all really need to pay attention to. You know, if you're a young person, you need to hear this today. This kind of thing doesn't just happen overnight. It's not all of a sudden just like that out of the blue. You think, you know, your mind's going there. This is a process that takes time and it takes a lot of, you know, decisions because... It really starts with the choices that we're making today. You know, and God, he tells us in his word, he says, set your minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And you know, that's exactly what he means. We need to set our minds on things above. John Piper says that the world is in desperate need of the church whose treasures are in heaven, not on earth. Our world needs to see that. It's the only way that they're going to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And life, generally speaking, is never going to work out exactly as we plan it. You know, this isn't what I thought marriage was supposed to look like. We just did, Karen and I just finished uh, a little marriage, six-week marriage study. It's called the Marriage Adventure. And we had... uh, five, six good couples in there, great couples. It was a lot of fun. And we're going to be doing it again in the, in the fall. And if you're married and you've got a healthy marriage or you're really struggling in your marriage, I want to encourage you to, to take that. The, it's a video series on Right Now Media. And um, we had these, these couples in there, and it, it just gelled. And it was like the dream team of couples, you know, just because everybody got along so good. And um, it... It's, you know, it, it's very good at helping us see, okay, what's the core values in our marriages? And just helps you to get focused and shows us how to do that. 
You know, this isn't what I thought marriage was supposed to look like. I don't know how many of you have ever thought that, but I bet you just about every married couple could think that at one time or another. You know, I thought this job was going to be different. I never thought my son or daughter would do that. I just thought life would be easier than this. You know, we've all been there. Overcome with frustration and disappointment and left with expectations dashed at some point. You know, whether we're young or old. You know, and how are we supposed to respond to this? You know, do we just accept it and then just go on with life? Do we just lower our expectations? Or is there another way? And I want to declare today that there is another way. You know, one thing is for sure is that we cannot let our disappointments or our unmet expectations keep us from accomplishing what it is that God has for us as a church or us as individual believers to do. We can't allow our discouragements to detract us. These, this morning, I'm going to be talking about unmet expectations and how we deal with them. You know, one of the hardest things that we as believers have to do is deal with these unmet expectations as we grow and mature in our faith. Because we're reading our Bibles and we're seeing different truths in the scripture. And as a young believer, we see these things and we think, okay, you know, if I claim it, I can have it. If I blab it, I can grab it. You know, like we, we get, we just have concepts that, and then all of a sudden, you know, we say, okay, this is the word of God, so I can do this. So then we leap at this and then, a lot of these things don't work because we, ha- you know, like scripture says that we- my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And a lot of these things don't work and we figure, oh, they, they don't work. And then, you know, some people, they, they get, they're really basing their life on a truth that's not really a complete truth and things don't quite work out the way they should and they, they say it doesn't work and then they turn their back on the faith and walk away with these unmet expectations. That's a hard thing for us as believers, but you know, as we persevere, like you know, the trying of your faith produces the perseverance. You know, this trying of our faith, it's like, man, oh man, to endure that is thinking, where are you, Lord? Sometimes, but He's right there in the midst of it. He's doing a work in us, and we need to persevere. We need to walk this walk out, and the longer we walk this walk out, seeking Him, we get to know Him. We get to start to understand. Okay, some of these truths in the Scripture, like line upon line, precept upon precept. God, okay, he's real. Jesus is risen from the dead. We say that. You know, that he's in our midst where two or three are gathered. There I am in your midst. We believe this stuff. But as we grow in our faith and as we mature, we start to experience these things piece by piece. And we're reading the word and we're learning line upon line, precept upon precept. Our faith is growing. And we're getting to know the Lord and how he works. How does he answer prayer? Why does he answer some and not others? You know, it's, it's an amazing walk to walk out. You know, a lot of times what happens is that we write our own life's plans. And then we expect God to make it all happen for us. And as time goes on, we discover that life seems to have its own plans. We create this assumption that if I'm a good person, I'll be blessed. And then this creates in us a huge disappointment when we are expected end doesn't happen when things don't work out as expected we end up with this misguided understanding of the love of God towards us you know the Bible is full of stories of lives 
that have had their expectations dashed. And it, it, it really shows how difficult it is to deal with those kinds of situations. But, you know, there's a reason why the Word of God is written the way that it is written. You know, we're going to look at four lives this morning, briefly, like this message is 30 minutes long, so you don't have to worry about four lives. Oh, my goodness, this is going to take all morning. <laughs> we're going to look at four lives of the disciples that walked with Jesus through his earthly ministry. And one thing you're going to notice is the confusion and the frustration that's growing in their hearts. And as they strain to make sense of what it is that Jesus is saying and doing. John writes, now you're going to need your Bibles. There's Bibles in the pews if you want to follow along. They've got quite a few verses here. And John chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. John writes, and it starts out that it was just before the Passover festival. Now the Passover festival is an annual week-long event the Jewish people set aside to celebrate and remember All that took place when God set their forefathers free from slavery in Egypt. And I was thinking as I was going over this, I was thinking, you know, I don't know the day I was, I become a Christian, but that was a day that I was led out of my Egypt and I was set free from the bondage of sin. Like I, you know, yeah, we dabble, we doodle, we get into trouble, we trip and fall, but but we keep getting up. We have the grace. We're not bound by sin like we once were. You know, and I was thinking, you know, we need to, that should be a marker in our lives, and that should be celebrated just like the children of Israel celebrated their freedom, because it's a picture of our freedom coming out of the world, being set free from the slavery of sin. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus was, this is verse 9, uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet and my hands, but my head as well. You know, here we see Jesus taking on the form of a servant. And I can imagine these guys' minds racing with what's going on, trying to figure out what's happening. You know, they're probably thinking, you know, like, what is going on? Typically, the teacher would never have washed the, the feet of the disciples. This was the job of the household servant. That's who would do this kind of stuff. You know, imagine the silence that have, would have fallen in the room as Jesus began to wash their feet. He did things out of the box. Silent, at least, until it comes to Peter. You wash my feet, Peter said. 
You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. I think we need to hear that too, you know. You do not realize now what I'm doing, Jesus says, but later you'll understand. No way, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. So unexpected, and Peter being the strong leader that he was, he protests with fervor. None of this was making any sense that was going on all around these guys. As we continue to investigate Peter here, we must keep in mind the domineering leader that he was in this group. Peter's name is mentioned more than any other name in the Gospels other than Jesus. No one, spoke to, no one was spoke to by Jesus as much as Peter was. No one speaks as often as Peter does. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter was. He's the only one who rebuked the Lord. He was the only disciple who tried to walk on water. No one confessed Jesus more boldly than Peter did. And yet no other disciple verbally denied and disowned Jesus as forcefully and publicly as Peter did. All of this contributed to making Peter the leader that Jesus knew he was. In John chapter 13, verse 32 through 38, it says that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I'm telling you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you? What a chatty Kathy Peter is. <laughs> why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You know, the frustration and the questions are beginning really stirring in these guys in this room. Peter, who is confident, and he's confident that he'll stand with the Lord and he'll die if necessary. And I'm sure others felt like they'll die for Jesus because they were convinced Jesus was the Son of God at this time. You know, Peter, and he's being told that he's going to deny the Lord, that he even knows him three times before sunup. You can be assured that these guys are getting a little bit nervous and anxious about what is going on. If Peter, the leader, the zealous, domineering leader that he was, was going to deny Je that he knew Jesus, what was coming? There had to be a lot of questions in the minds of these men. Jesus can see their concern and he comforts them with these words in John 14, verse 1 through 5. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Now our first, or second, I guess, character in this whole thing is Thomas. 
this doesn't sit good with Thomas. He's not happy with this kind of answer. He says, you know, Thomas, he spoke up and he says, Lord, we don't know the way you're, where you're going, the way to where you're going. How are we going to know the way? We don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So as time goes on here, within hours, Jesus is crucified. Things are not making sense. And Thomas is not impressed, and we're going to see that as this goes on. It just wasn't ending the way it was supposed to end as far as they were concerned. Quite often, things do not go the way that we expect them to. And, you know, what do we do when this kind of stuff happens in our lives? Sometimes it shakes us to the core, but, you know, we can stand on the fact that, okay, Lord, I don't understand, but I know that you do. And submit to him and his rule in our lives. The expectations of these guys was completely shattered. These guys had been taught all their lives that the Messiah was coming to be the Lord. He was coming as Savior. He was coming as the King of Kings. He was coming to rule and to reign. And now he's dead. When life leaves us picking up the pieces... Just days later, after the crucifixion, John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he says. I often see this picture, and I can imagine these guys in this little room, and it's probably lit with candles, dimly lit, and they're just sort of sitting around, and all of a sudden Jesus is there like that. If it wouldn't have just about jumped out of their skin like, ah, you know, somebody, somebody does, they come around a corner and just give you a boom. <laughs> now Thomas, known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared. So the other disciples found Thomas and they told him, we've seen the Lord. Now listen to Thomas's response. He's ticked off at this whole situation. He feels like he's been... Whatever you call it, the wool's been pulled over his eyes. He says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Little crisis going on here in Thomas's life, I would say. A week later, his disciples, in, in, in chapter 20, verse 26, 28, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out and put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas's response, my Lord and my God. All Thomas saw and experienced with Jesus, and he still could have missed it, but if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God. God's grace and his mercy is available, and it's out to us, all of us, all the time. What a good God we serve, so patient with us. I'll tell you, he's been patient with me. Lord, help us to lean on you. Help us. Lord God, to have expectations of truth 
and be trusting you, to lean on you, to walk close to you. Philip, his response, he said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. This is in chapter 14, verse 8 through 11. Verse 9, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak my own authority, but rather it is the Father living in me and doing his work. Believe me when I say to you that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. You know, these guys were walking with Jesus. What more could he have done to convince them? To Philip, it obviously wasn't enough. You know, like Jesus, when there are processions walking down the road and he touches the casket and the young man inside sits up. He heals the lame, the young man that comes through the roof and he's lame. And Jesus says, get up. And he stands up and he walks out of there. So many miracles of blind and deaf that the, these people for three and a half years seen Jesus do. They knew what they thought. They knew who he was. But he died. And now they're experiencing him after he had died. He had come back to life. And they're still saying, show us the Father and then we'll believe. You know, what more could he have done? At least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Their hearts were troubled and they were confused. Just show us the Father, that will be enough for us. They were nervous about what they had been hearing and seeing in that upper room. Then there's Judas, and Judas, he says, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? If you are going to be king, how are you going to rule if you don't, do not reveal yourself to the rest of the world? You know, and it's a good question. It's a question I have asked. I said, okay, Lord, why don't you just show yourself to this world? Just show up. Just show up and let everybody know who you are. But the Lord has a plan. He says, I'm not slow at my return. As some would consider slowness, he says, I'm not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There are many yet that are going to turn to him and receive him as Savior, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My father will love them and he will love and we will love and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. You know, so none of this made any sense to these guys. They expected a completely different outcome when the Messiah was coming. At the end of this point, these, at, these, at this point, these guys had no idea what it was that Jesus was up to and how the kingdom of God was to work in their thinking thinking a suffering messiah how does this help our cause you know we're we're so influenced by worldly wisdom and on how things unfold in life around us and like i said at the beginning you know we have this tendency to write out our plans and then expect god to bless that to make it all happen you know this is so north american of us when you look at the cultures and the customs of the Bible days, North America is different than those customs. 
You know, we're all familiar with these scriptures that I'm about to read. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And it says like this. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man and it appears straight before him. But at the end of it is the way of death. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 10 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body. That's a good promise. And nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We all have our struggles. Frustration and discouragement is born between unmet expectations and our experience. Do you have a troubled heart this morning? God wants us to take our hurts that maybe the enemy has meant for harm and turn them into grace and support for those who are hurting. Nobody can help a hurting person more than a person who's been hurt. Think about the times the unmet expectations in your life have maybe caused you to pull back from what it is that God is wanting to do in your life. I can think of a lot of times when I've allowed the hurts and the unmet expectations in my own life and they've caused me to pull back from what God was wanting to do in my life. You know, those are seasons of growth and, and uh, getting to know the Lord. It's like, okay, as a young believer, you're, you're, it's just this doesn't seem to be working. And you pull back from what God is doing and just sort of go back to the old ways for a while and slowly come back to the Lord. At the end of this thing tonight, if, uh, if anybody would like prayer, you know, I would love to pray with you, you know, about the frustrations in your life, the unmet expectations, the pain maybe that you've been experiencing you know, we get it. We all get it because we all have been there. But, you know, we have to keep in mind that God is a good God. He has come to give us life, and it says he's come to give it us to the full. He's paid a huge price so that we can have, be strengthened by one another. Peter felt he was put in a very humbling situation at the Last Supper when Jesus came to wash his feet. Thomas just couldn't see it. And he needed more clarity. And with Philip, it was never enough. Judas, he had to trust that God knew what he was doing. A, two, uh, a 2012 HBO documentary followed by the performance artist Marina Abramovic in her work called The Artist is Present. Over a period of 90 days, thousands of people streamed through the Museum of Art in New York City for a chance to see this unusual exhibit. The entire performance revolved around a simple concept. Abramovic, dressed in a bright red gown, sat on a wooden chair. One by one, visitors would walk onto the stage and sit in the wooden chair across from her. And they would just stare into each other's eyes. She didn't speak to them. She didn't gesture or nod her head. She simply remained present and stared into their eyes. 
The result was surprising that nearly, surprised nearly everyone. Every day people broke down in tears, usually after just a few minutes of silent staring. Tears often filled Abramovic's eyes as well. You know, what was behind this phenomenon? A 32-year-old New Yorker talked about the rare chance to connect deeply with another human being. He said that we insulate ourselves in America. Everyone goes around with headphones. You can be near all these people and still feel like you're all alone. Abramovic noted that as people became quiet and still, she could sense the deep, lonely pain that many people secretly carried. She said, I gazed into the eyes of many people who were carrying so much pain inside and I could immediately see it and feel it. It became a a mirror for them of their own emotions. One big hell's angel with tattoos everywhere stared at me fiercely for 10 minutes and then began to crumble onto the floor, weeping like a baby. Peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. They that keep their, uh, their minds stayed on me, I will keep in perfect peace. Do you have this perfect peace functioning in your lives this morning? Because it's available to us. I want us to stand this morning as we wrap this up. And I want us to just do something a little bit different. Ooh, what's coming? You know, the Lord says that where two or three are gathered, he is here in our midst. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have your way here this morning in our lives. As we turn our attention towards you, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to hear and to see what it is that you want to say to each one of us. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to picture Jesus standing in front of you. I want you to just look into his eyes. Do you feel that presence? Do you feel the peace that only he can give? And it's amazing. It's free to us. We can see it. We can feel it. He's here for us. God is calling all of us to come out of the fears and the stresses of life, the cares and concerns that are choking out the things of the Spirit. It seems so obvious to me that through the COVID thing and, and as we're coming out of it, I just really have sensed through this thing, it's the challenge for me has been to be completely surrendered to him no matter what's going on around me. And he's asking that from us. He wants us to submit our lives to him, to trust in him. He'll take care of us. He promises that in his word. He says, be still and know that I am the Lord. And so, Father, we just commit our lives to you this morning and pray, Father God, that you would help us to turn our minds and our eyes upon the things of heaven, Lord God. Take our minds off of the things of this world because 
That's what you tell us to do, and you tell us to do that for a reason. We can be a people, Lord God, that the world looks at and sees they walk with you. We can be a witness, Lord God, just you know, as our presence comes into the room. And so, Father, help us to be that people that you have ordained and, call, and you're calling us out of this world to be in the world, but not of the world. Reaching out and ministering to the people around us, Lord God. Just bless your people and help us, Lord, for we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.